episode 15 of the TFL podcast back coming at you. I'm really pumped for this one. I'm Steve Govan. I'm your host. I've got some guys that uh, that I've known for for man longer than Brian's beard. I got to tell you, it's been uh, it's been a ton of fun, kind of catching up with these guys. And every episode that I get to do, I get to catch up with with the guests and talk a little bit. Last week, Tom Marichek, Jake Berge, um, and talking about a lot of fun with the Philadelphia Wings, but these are two guys that I did not play with in the National Lacrosse League, and I have them on anyway. So um, I, I want to introduce uh, my my good friend, Brian Silcott. We go way back in the game and, and in executive leadership. He was with the Port and Lumberjacks for a long time, played for a couple of teams in the NLL, I think. Um, you know, and it was uh, it was exciting times, and we'll talk a little bit about that history. Brian Silcott, welcome to the show. Thank you very much, Steve. Uh, been looking for an opportunity for a public conversation with you for for a long time. Looking forward. I'm to not it. sure. I'm not sure I'm welcoming that. But uh, my, my other guest is a, is kind of a staple uh, amongst you know lacrosse people in Long Island and, and grew up you know down under in Australia and and has been uh, you know a great ambassador for the sport of lacrosse for the Aussie Sharks and played for them for a long time, but now coaching at Adelphi University and, and uh, carrying on his legacy of the game. And I know he's got, had a chance to coach his son, I think, right, Gordo? Um, so, Gordon Purdy, uh, welcome to the show. Thank you. Good to be here and uh, looking forward to it. Yeah, this is the only time you'll hear the Australian Long Island accent. Um <laughs> And it's super, super exciting, super fun to hear that. And I hope everybody uh, brings along their uh, their Google Translator so they can understand what uh, Gordo's saying. So he's been in the U.S. for like 25 years, and I swear his accent is thicker now than when he got here. I know, right? Uh, yes. How is that? Whenever I get to hang with Brian Zilson, because of the instant translator there for me. So yes. Perfect. <laughs> Well, look, fellas, I'm pumped to have you. I know we talked a lot about uh, uh, getting this together for a few weeks and uh, happy to, to finally get it going. So, uh, Brian, I, I'm excited to hear kind of your story of getting into the game. Like, how, how does, you know, a black kid in, in western New York, upstate New York, find his way into lacrosse? And, and what was it like for you kind of joining that team where not a lot of kids looked like you? Yeah, well, the reality for me was that you know, I grew up in Bedford, New York, about 45 minutes north of New York City. Um, it's a it's a white suburb. It's not very Western. No, not very Western. But, uh, you know, most of my school was was not black. So so joining a, a not black team wasn't that weird. Where it was really weird was in the games because, you know, we'd play against schools where there were lots of black kids. But playing lacrosse, everyone I played against was basically all white teams as well. You really pretty much didn't see – um, other black folks around at all at that time in the sport. But the reality for me was it, it, it didn't really come up very much at that time in my life. Um, the guys on my team accepted me for who I was. They were my best friends. Um, and while there were periods in my life where there were issues around it, when I first started playing, it, it was not for me. It was not something that ever really even occurred to me when I began playing. I just knew it was a hell of a lot more exciting than baseball. That's, a, that's pretty refreshing to hear, actually, right? I expected to hear, you know, stories from you that were, you know, that that didn't give us great faith in society. But that's actually refreshing to hear that that you didn't have experiences early on, and obviously that may have changed as things kind of progressed. But 
that, that you were welcomed into the sport. It, it's kind of it's refreshing to know that, that the sport actually is, was really welcoming at one time. Yeah, and it, you know, it was a small community relatively where I, where I grew up. And so, you know, everyone knew me and everyone, you know, knew who I was when I started playing. They still I, I started playing lacrosse. So, so folks knew me and, and yeah, it was, uh, it was not a big deal at the time. So the interesting thing about this particular episode of the podcast is the three of us have a, a kind of a long history in world lacrosse, right. And, and the FIL and, and obviously, you know, Gordon Purdy, long time in Australia. I want to hear how you got into the game, but Brian's working with the Jamaican lacrosse group now. Um, I, I've had a long tenure with Team Canada and have moved on from that to go into, into the uh, board of World Lacrosse. And that's super exciting for me to kind of help with that. But Brian's been with U.S. Lacrosse. But a long legacy history, Gordon, is probably the preeminent player uh, from Australia. I mean, it, I mean that, you carry that mantle pretty well. And, and so how did you get in the game? So I started when I was 10, my brother brought home a trophy and basically I said, I really want one of those. So I was driven to uh, compete. I was a runner, ran marathons, triathlons. And at 16, I had a coach that sort of said I had to pick a, a, uh, a sport, whether it be athletics, running long distance, or go for this game called lacrosse. Well, so the success led me to the, the lacrosse field where in under 19s, I was voted best best and fairest in, in the uh, state. And then I had a chance to then represent my club team, which um, was a real challenge because there was some Australian players on there. And I found myself at the end of the bench, missing a ground ball, sitting the first three games of the, uh, you know, of the season. And it just wasn't for me. So I went to the worst uh, team in the league, Chadston Lacrosse Club. I left Surrey Park, which is, you know, the head coach of the Australian team was coaching there and uh, that year we had an awesome successful year went on to beat Surrey Park and I was voted best player in the country and he uh, before that semi-final game came up to me and said hey Gordon you know the good news is I'm going to put you on the Australian squad and that had me you know at 18 19 heading to team uh, heading to Toronto well when I got to Toronto of course he wasn't going to play me so I sat the bench and remember in 1986 going, I didn't work all this, all, all, you know, all of the, make all this money to make, pay for a trip to sit on the bench. So when we flew down to Calif uh, to JFK, uh, I remember thinking, that's it, I'm doing it. I got off the plane. I had no idea what I was doing. So I went to New York City Library to try to investigate where I was gonna go because I didn't know that lacrosse was played on Long Island at that point. And uh, I landed in New York City Library making a phone call to a guy called Tom Flatley, who was the US uh, coach in 86. And he said, listen, we've, you know, why don't you try this school out on the island? So I went out to Adelphi and they had a scholarship opportunity. And I called my parents and said, listen, I'm not coming home. I'm going to school in the States. And, that's and 35 it. years later, you, you're still in that same <laughs> run. You got it. I mean, you know, how many, how many world games did you play in? So I, I was to play in eight, but I ended up playing in seven. So, I, you know, I was to make another world game, but um, my Adolphi team made the uh, playoffs and went to the championship game. So I missed that one. So I, I ended up playing in seven world games. 
That's a lot, man. Who else has played in seven world games? Um, this I, I can't find out there. I think <laughs> some of these old seven. I don't know. That's a, seven's a lot. Like I thought, Chris Anderson played years. a lot. Yeah, yeah. Every, everyone's been unique and sort of coming together and getting a chance to sort of represent your country and, and be an ambassador for the game of lacrosse is great. But you know, the friends, whether they're Canadian, American, you know, you is anywhere around the world now i've got friends playing lacrosse it's just awesome it's it's something it's a sport that's really you know given me many keys to many countries and i've really enjoyed the opportunity to go around the world and teach play and uh i still love doing it truly an ambassador for the game and and uh so a lot of a lot of props to you, Gordo. I think, uh, you know, you're a household name in the game of lacrosse, at least for people over 50. So, um, and I gotta say that, you know, obviously Australia got a lot out of him on the field. I think that we've gotten a ton out of Gordon Purdy in lacrosse United States. Like, just, I mean, his con contribution to us lacrosse has been amazing as well. Yeah. It's been awesome. And this is turning into a love fest. So let, hey, let me, <laughs> let me find <laughs> out. Let me stop. Do you remember when you checked me and threw your stick right into my chin and ripped my chin apart where I had to get stitches on the sideline? Come on. Steve. I have no idea what you're talking about. Cause it didn't happen Steve. once. It actually happened twice. Just but, but it happened like that's like five times a game when Steve Dove was playing defense. So how is he possibly going to remember the two that he got you? I want to say I got hit in the head a lot, so I don't remember a lot of stuff. So I'm telling you, I, I don't remember. Brian Silcott, you walked into a locker room in the mill uh, back in the early 90s. What was that like? What was that experience like? Your first box lacrosse experience? So my first box was the Buffalo Bandits. They were coming off of back-to-back MILL -back, uh, championships. The locker room was – you know, John Tavares, Bob Hamley, Rich and Darius Kilgore, Jim Veltman, Troy Killardingly, uh, Bill Geary was our was our goalie. Uh, Jim Veltman was on the team. Like, it was just this unbelievable group of guys it was, it, and, and unbelievable personalities. But the moment that stands out to me where I was the most like, wow, this is a different place, was halftime of my very first game. And we go back in the locker room. Um, and I didn't play, I didn't get dressed for the first two games. Uh, they were both in the row, and they came back to Buffalo. I finally get the dress. First game I ever see of a box across, I'm on the floor in front of, you know, whatever, 18,000 crazy people in Buffalo. We go back in at halftime. The entire first half was like a blur to me. I had no idea what was going on the entire time. Where anybody, It was chaos. We go back in the locker room. I'm breathing heavy, and all of a sudden, I'm like, I think I smell smoke. And I, get <laughs> I was going to ask the question if this involves cigarettes. <laughs> Four guys in the head coach are in the locker in the showers having a heater. Back in the dark. Like, man, I better buckle up, man. This is crazy. <laughs> that's that's too funny. Gordo, your first experience coming out of Adelphi, you go play for the New York Saints. What was your experience walking into a locker room? Hey, clearly a lot of Long Island guys. You probably all knew, but a lot of Long Island guys uh, had a little bit of difficulty breaking into that, uh, you know, that first opportunity to play, similar to Brian, uh, but got the green light from Bobby Engelke, who, who gave me the green light. And 
What I remember most was just the, uh, you know, the crowds, because here we are playing the game and we play it because we love it and we the opportunity to play with your friends. And all of a sudden now you got crazy fans all over the country that you're looking at over the, uh, through the glass. And that, you know, trying to run out with a spotlight glaring at you, you can't see the, you know, one foot in front of you because you're being blinded was just, you know, bigger than life for me. Bigger than life. I'm, I'm just I'm well aware of running out of the tunnel with the spotlight on you and not being able to see what was in front see, of you. I couldn't see a thing, right. <laughs> You're just hoping you didn't fall over. So what you guys have an impression, of, and whoever wants to go first, but was there an impression of, of a Canadian, American, and, and obviously Australian kind of style of play and, and those guys that were hack, hacking those butts in the – in the showers weren't American guys. No, uh, no. Was there a Canadian? Did you guys like to, uh, what am I, what have I gotten myself into? Was there a tension between Canadians, Americans, Australians? How, how did that work for you guys? Well, I, I mean, I'll, I'll go first. I, I was on a Canadian, Canadian and native American team. Basically uh, the guys that dressed, I was the only American. So I, you know, I, I jumped ship early. I was on the floor. I was with the Canadians without a doubt. And, uh, you know, there were some tensions. There was one incident in particular um, where we were playing Boston and Buffalo had won two championships in a row. The previous year had gone undefeated, undefeated four or five games. And Boston was largely an American team and some pretty, you know, gritty Americans who would punch you in the face and, and, and chirp you and everything. And so Boston uh, finally beats us. And it's this largely American team beats the Canadian team that had been undefeated, you know, for a season and a half and all out brawl breaks out. Like it was just more than anyone could deal with all out brawl breaks out on the floor, up in the stands. Johnny Moradian is trying to pull people apart in the stands down on the floor. It ends with like Glenn Lay, uh, native American chasing Paul Palmo from Boston around the floor, trying to pull his helmet off to get him to join the, fr- the fight. So that was probably the most, uh, significant American versus Canadian conflict I saw throughout my time. Was this the time when Marty O'Neill got hit by Darius Kilgore, who ran from like center to hit him, and he went ass over tea kettle into the boards? Yeah, so like, at the, that at the started end of the, game, the whole thing, didn't it? Johnny Tavares ends up in the crease right at the end of the game, trying no. to score. He got Marty O'Neill, who who was like the the Canadian that was the gang leader for the Boston guys, right? He was the one. Yeah. Instigating them all the time. And so Marty cross checks JT. Dara sees it from like mid floor and just takes a run at him. And I swear to you, Marty was standing in the crease. Yep. And the first contact was his back against the boards. Like he flew <laughs> through the air and, you know, he's the goalie. He goes down and it looked like a cartoon. It looked like a cartoon when he got hit because there's actually – go to YouTube for everybody that wants to see this. Go to YouTube. It's on there. And Marty O'Neill flies a good five or six feet in the air backwards like he just got pulled from, with, a, with an elastic band. With a rope. Yeah. <laughs> rope around his waist. It was, just, it was hilarious. Gordo, how about you, man? You, you, you know, what was your impression – the early games, we had a lot of um, respect for the Canadians. Obviously, I remember us getting into a locker room. You know, the game has changed, obviously, since, you know, the early 90s. But we were basically playing, you know, offense, defense. Um, 
and then get off. So, you know, we, you know, I don't think there was four guys that we had on our team that had ever played box lacrosse before. You know, we had all world players, we had fantastic field players, and we could take any, you know, I think we could have taken them on outdoor. But, you know, when it came to indoor, you know, I think we were struggling a little bit early, learning the game, you know, uh, and trying to figure this game out. And I think, you know, slowly the Americans, and I'm classing myself as American, you know, we were, we had a lot of respect for the Canadians that knew what they were doing and knew how to play this. And I remember at one point we went out there and all of a sudden they were running shifts, defenders and offensive players. And we were like, okay, that's it. You know, we're going to respect them enough to decide that we got to do this too. And, and I think that our game slowly, the American game, at least here at, with the Saints, uh, slowly evolved, you know, with a huge amount of respect with the Canadians who, who have grown up, you know, as, as five-year-olds playing this sport. What was, the best, what was the best chirp against an Australian guy? What was the best <laughs> chirp you ever heard in an NLL game? You, got, you had to have a good chirp. It's the constant, what the hell are you doing here? Get the F back home. Whoever invited you here anyway. I mean, it didn't stop. You know, it never stopped. And if you look over to, you know, silly, it doesn't stop even when we're playing a song ball. <laughs> There's nobody likes face-off guys, that's why. Uh, hey, Gordon had a unique style of playing, too, that drew a lot of attention. And it, was a, it was 100 miles an hour all the time. Um, With no apparent direction at times, though, too. <laughs> like, only he knew, he knew where he was ever going. It was just chaos. <laughs> One-man chaos. Tell me about the story of you making the team, Brian. Like, you, you're making a team. How, how, did, that, how did that look? So the, when I first, again, I've listed some of those guys I played with. So I was learning, you know, that was my first box experience was going out on the floor with them. I'm learning the game from literally legends and thinking, okay, where am I possibly going to fit into this mix, which I quickly figured out was not at the offensive end. It's definitely <laughs> going to be at the defensive end and taking face-offs. Um, it's tough to play offense when you can't catch the passes from the other guys. And so uh, Jim Veltman pulls me aside. He's like, Brian, listen, everybody's trying to teach you to cross-check and play like a Canadian defender. He's like, you're a better athlete than these guys. Take one hand off your stick, run around, swing at people with the stick, push them with the offhand, and you're going to be fine. You just got to figure out pick and roll. And so that's what I did. And uh, I think with a little help from guys like Veltman in the coach's ears, um, I got my shot two games in and, and dressed every game afterwards the rest of my career. Gordon, you talked about uh, angle key giving you the green light, but what, what did that look like? What was the process you went through to make the team? Uh, well, <laughs> the process was I didn't make the team at first. And honestly, I remember feeling uh, so destroyed. I remember waking up with night sweats going, oh, man, I just wish I had a chance. So I think that, you know, you say, oh, you've played for so many years. I knew what it was like to have the game taken away from me. And for just that, you know, that little while. So, you know, if you've been through a, a, a time where you've not been able to play, then when you get a chance to play, you really just enjoy it that much more and respect the opportunity to, to play, one, you know, when you have that chance. So, you know, I, I obviously played for a long time, maybe longer than I should have, but I was always going to take every second on that field that I could get a chance to play. 
um, you know, some of the best times of my life with, you know, playing lacrosse and, and celebrating wins and celebrating losses with the guys that you grow close with. What was your favorite road arena? Um, geez, there's a lot of them. I mean, we, I love the Boston Garden. I, I think the Philadelphia Spectrum was probably, you know, despite the craziness of what was going around you, one of the better ones that I tended to really enjoy. So I, I would have to say Philly Spectrum. I mean, the showers were definitely the best after, wouldn't you say, Brian? Yeah, I don't necessarily know that we need to hear about that. <laughs> so, Phil, my my sister took took my my nephews to one game in Philly, and after the game, told me, "Yeah, we we'll go and watch you play, but we're never going here again." <laughs> <laughs> I tell you what, I run into Chopper. You guys remember Chopper? Chopper was a super fan in Philadelphia. He still is, yep. and he and he still goes to games. And the com the funny thing is, you run into this guy without his makeup on and nobody knows who he is and he, he kind of remained, but he, he's the sweetest, nicest guy, but uh, chopper, the, the, you know, the super fan in Philadelphia, if you ran into him in a penalty box, he sat right behind the penalty box and he would just motherfuck you the whole game. And I appreciated greatly never having to deal with that. Cause I played my entire career there. So, you know, I, 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 my, my favorite place to play, I've said this before, it was the Buffalo Auditorium. I loved playing in the odd. I mean, it was steep. People were right on top of you. You know, I mean, hey, for, for 125 bucks a game, I mean, I would have paid them to play. So, you know. People don't remember that. The odd, what, that was what was special about the odd is the stands were so steep that you felt like they were breathing over top of you. Like, if you fell out of the top row, you were landing on the floor. Like it, was, it was just straight down. So, Brian, if I ask you to describe Gordon, you've already talked a little bit about it before, but describe Gordon's game. Um, d describe it then and then describe it now, because I know you guys play a little bit together. Good luck, Brian. <laughs> well, well, so then and now is exactly the same. It's just a little bit slower and a little bit less <laughs> often now. He picks and chooses moments. But Gordon's game is, is very easy to explain. One, absolute motor, right? He's always, he's always, always going. He's not a make one dodge and beat you guy. He literally will just keep going and running around until he figures out a way to get by you. And he's a complete ham. He fakes penalties all the time, the head going back, <laughs> the whole hey, thing. I hate he's guys like that. The official, giving you the, ah, oh, ah, oh. Oh. I really hate those guys that fake penalties and and draw attention to themselves. I hate those guys. <laughs> but he's relentless. relentless times and, quite a Canadian. Keeps going. I got. I have a quick Gordon story. I don't even know if Gordon can remember this one from a. Play, we played against each other in Vale for a few years uh, before we finally played together with the Saints, um, and now we play together in Vale all the time. But we played against each other back in the day. I'm facing off against him. This is back in the old faceoff days. And I used to just drop my hand open and catch the guy's stick when he clamped and pick it up and then kick the ball out and go. And so I'm doing this classic cheater move. Same cheating. I'm doing classic it every time cheater. Gordon and the official can't see it. Like the official's not calling it. Gordon, I, I thought he was going to pop a blood vessel. He was getting so pissed. 
because it was so obvious what I was doing and this idiot <laughs> official just couldn't get it. <laughs> Gordon was so frustrated because he knew he was right. Trust me, I was, I was trying to imitate him, but he was an idiot. <laughs> Absolute idiot. Yes, I do remember that. And the frustration you went through, come on, if you can't understand this, then we're not even playing lacrosse. So yeah, that I was, do recall that. I was actually thinking about this a little bit earlier today and, and, and we have obviously Brian, you and I have had a lot of fun in Vail and, and, and Gordon, I'm sure you did too, but, but it was such, it's such a special place to play. I like Lake Placid. I know you guys have done that many times, but, but Vail was, is such a special tournament and has been going on for so long and, and just wanted to take just a minute to, you know, it's a bummer they didn't play this year, but, uh, you know, that's it's such a cool tournament to play in. And any of you lacrosse people out there that are that are listening, the, all three of you that have never been out there um, to to see uh, the Vail tournament, to watch it, to participate, I highly recommend it. It's a ton of fun. Yeah, unbelievable event. And, you know, back in the day, it was, it was basically the world championship every year. You know, it was the... Yeah. The best club teams from the East Coast stacked their teams and came out and competed for, you know, well, who was the best team in the world, really? 1993, and Gordon, you and I were involved in a game in 94 in Manchester where your Australian team played keep away. We were trying to play lacrosse. You were playing keep away. Um, and ultimately kept the ball away from us for 80 minutes of the game, and we didn't score any goals to, to, to win. I think the score was about nineteen to eighteen, if I'm not wrong. Right? Uh, it wasn't the. I don't know. You ran. You guys ran around in a circle. Nobody could catch you. Okay. that. Eighteen goals is a lot of goals. Canada loses in the semifinal to the Australians. Um, the last time I think we won a bronze medal, I was on that team. Thank you very much. Tried to redeem myself next time in, in Baltimore in 98, and, and we fell short in that, that game. But that's been talked about enough here. But um, 93, if you go back to 93 in, in Vail, we had two teams. We had Team Canada West and we had Team Canada East. And we sequestered ourselves in preparation for – the 1994 World Games in Manchester. Obviously, we didn't do it very well, but I will tell you that the the laundry list of names that Brian came up with earlier talking about the Buffalo Bandits, the best lacrosse game in Canada to that point was played on a little high school field in Vail, Colorado, where Team Canada West played Team Canada East. And if I went down the laundry list of names of the greatest players that are in the Hall of Fame now, it was so unbelievable that, that to be involved in this. And no one took a photo. No one thought to – there wasn't cameras right on the phone, right? So you, nobody videotaped anything. There's no social media from that game. But uh, I can tell you, the, you know, from the Gates to the Marechecks to the Veltman and Tavares and John Wilson, the, the names go on and on and on. Uh, it, it was a special place in Vail. And I ended up moving to Colorado, as you guys know, for a heck of a long time and, and got to play in, in Vail, Colorado. And that's where Brian and I got close. But 
Um, you know, anyway, I, I digress, but it's my show. I can say whatever the fuck I want. Um, at the end of the day, fellas, and, and we didn't get to Gordon, you describing Brian's game. I'd, I'd love to hear that. Cause I have lots of adjectives that I can use <laughs> to describe Brian's game, but mainly my adjective to describe Brian's game is me standing with my stick right on the crease going, pass me the ball. Uh, so I think we've had a little bit of discussion about Brian's game, Brian and I, probably for about 30 seconds before every game we play, if, if I'm not wrong, Brian, right? So it'll basically go like this. I got this. And I, I Brian plays with so much confidence. There's not a player that can stop him from getting to the goal. So me getting in his way is a problem. So basically I've got to take my guy and make sure my guy doesn't go at his guy. And that's the role. And let Brian go and do his thing. And that's what he does. You know, if you're not sliding early to Brian, then you don't know how to play lacrosse because Brian's going to beat his guy. He's got a first step that no one can stop and he can shoot on the move as well as anybody else. So to play with Brian, it's really easy. Here's the ball. <laughs> the only the only way I ever got the ball from Brian is if he missed the net and I got the run out behind. He would start his dodge. I didn't even stand in front of the net. I would just run to the end line and hope he missed. I just hope he missed the net and then I'd get the ball back. So we hey. games to say that's working. So why change anything? And you know he's he's not aging at all. And so guy, as we you now play on older and older age groups, it's just making sense. Yeah, it's like, he's in freaking video game mode. The problem was, see, if I passed you the ball, what was going to happen is if I passed you the ball, now you would get the ball and you would score. Yes. So when you scored, for some odd reason, when you scored, we ended up playing man down afterwards on the next face-off. <laughs> I don't know how that would transpire, but somehow we'd be man down on the next face-off. Uh, you but just were pissed shot, off because every time scored. he threw me the ball, went in the back of the net, and you'd have to go face-off again. Yeah. Hey, uh, who was your biggest rival when you played indoor, when you played box? Team, player, who was who the guy that kind of you, you guys felt like got under your skin or you didn't want to play against or you loved playing against? Well, I can say yeah, I mean, I Philly, it was Philly for me. Philly for you? Without a doubt for me, it was, it was Philly um, <laughs> in every way, shape, and form. Um, and specifically for me, it was a lot of competition with Chris Flynn and, uh, and, and Gabrielson with the guys that I battled with in the middle of the field a lot. Um, but playing against that team in that arena um, was definitely the, the, the highlight of my indoor career, without a doubt. And loved doing it. Hated them, hated the fans, but loved doing it. So next episode, I have uh, Tony Rush and Chris Bates on. And uh, we'll talk a little bit about Chris Flynn, but what a what a physical specimen! I think he still holds the record record at Episcopal Academy for most running yards, and U Penn for most running yards as a running back on the football team. And then he played lacrosse pretty much the same way he played football. Yeah, yeah tough kid. Yeah, he was tough. tough. How about you, Gordo? Who who like where was it that that you had a the big rivalry? Well, I wouldn't say it's any – I mean, I have so much respect for so many. You know, I remember Travaris standing on my foot, just hurling me to the side, running down, catching it and scoring. And I was like, oh, okay, you know, how am I going to stop that? 
literally trying to stand up without falling over as he just pushes me down. But, you know, I think it was me that got carried to the goal on Gary Gates' 100th goal that he ever scored. I was just <laughs> basically holding onto his neck for the ride. Uh, that was in Detroit, I think, from memory. Uh, so I, you know, obviously had a lot of, you know, Gavin Prout was just one player that I completely admired his ability to get to the goal and, um, you know, and get it done. And then I had my own teammates that I watched every practice, you know, Matt Panetta, you know, whenever it was near his birthday in March, he just could seem to score four or five goals and help us win some games. Uh, you know, Vinny stood the test of time. Vinny Sombrado has been that player, um, that I've long test of time. Yeah. Yeah. He's been around for a long time, but you know, his, his commentary on the sidelines is just a pleasure to listen to. And you just listen and suck everything in that you can, you know, hear. And, and then that just helps you become a smarter player. And he's probably one of the smartest players, you know, in indoor and outdoor that I know of. Um, and it helped me. And then I watched guys like Casey Powell and played with him. And his, uh, you know, I've seen him just get brutalized on the field, you know, where guys are just completely going after him physically. And he's got a nonstop motor that just keeps going. I'm um, talking about motors going. And same with Mark Millen. I've watched him be able to just run through two, three guys and, and his ability to get shots off under pressure. I mean, there's so many players I got a chance to play with, you know, um, and I can't leave off, um, you know, I, I can't leave off, uh, you know, my goalie, Sal Acasio, you know, I think uh, he, he, you know, playing defense for him, I remember getting screamed at and cursed at and shouted at when I didn't do what I had to do. But, you know, his ability to make some saves was incredible, you know, indoor. And then, I, you know, outdoor, when I uh, have to play against him for, for Team US, against uh, Team USA, you know, it's just that ride that I've really enjoyed being a part of and learning from. And, you know, lacrosse is a game where you learn something every day, and I've been blessed to be uh, around some great people. Certainly, Sally, and and I've got Pat McCabe and Sally Casio lined up in a future episode. I think that would be a ton of fun to. I won't be able to understand them either, but you're going to have four people watching that because I'm going to be watching that. <laughs> Sally Casio, I hated playing against him in field. And when I ended up with the Saints, I remember talking to him in the bar after a game. I was like, my God, I can't ever score on you. I feel like I feel like every time I shoot, like you're going where the ball's going before I, I shoot it. He goes, Brian, that's because you always shoot low right. That's your fault. That's your fault. Hey, so if you could pick one person and you get to sit with that one person in an NLL locker room and you get to spend time with them, because that's a pretty, it's a pretty uh, important, uh, uh, you know, spot. You get the person you're next to a lot of times, you know, you spend time chatting about all sorts of things and joking and, and playing jokes and all that type of stuff. But it, if present company accepted, who would you want to sit next to in an NLL locker room? Brody Merrill, without a doubt for me. The opportunity to, to be on a team and be in a locker room with Brody Merrill would be uh, a very cool thing to do, I think, <laughs> and a great learning experience. I agree. That's a good yeah. one. He's a SEAL, so. That's, that's right. That's right, yeah. Yes. Yeah. So, I, I, I get quick Brody Merrill's so, Brody Merrill's rookie yeah, year, I think he had the greatest stat line in the history of the NLL, playing against Philadelphia, actually. I think he was, as a defender, three goals, two assists, 11 ground balls, and beat up their captain. 
<laughs> it was the perfect stat line. The Brody Rail hat trick. <laughs> so, and then becomes a question, how does a guy like that get so many ground balls? I mean, has that been spoken of and books being read about? And, I mean, I have no idea. How does that happen? Uh, how, how is it? Because it's incredible. It is, I mean, what is his uh, stats with ground balls? How many more does he have than, you know, the next guy? It's incredible. Well, Jimmy Veltman had the record for the longest time, and I think I want to say that uh, Brody broke that record with the Seals in the NLL. Um, and and I will say that Jimmy Veltman, although I think the stat keepers in Toronto just like jotted down fifteen, 15 ground balls every game, whether Jimmy played or not. So you know whatever, but um, no, but I mean Brody. Brody like breaks his record, but keep in mind, right? You guys remember this. We didn't play a lot of games early on when Jimmy Veltman was playing. So I think Jimmy Veltman got there. A Jimmy got there in a lot faster games than, than Brody did, but uh, certainly a knack to pick up loose balls. And then we had to, we had to change the rules so that Jeff Snyder couldn't get any more loose balls off of face-offs because <laughs> we just thought face-off guys, loose balls weren't real loose balls because it's, it's not uncontested so we changed the rule no i'm kidding we didn't change the rule but um the the one rule we did change was we found that the goalies were getting too many loose balls because every time they made a save and they picked it up the stats keeper gave them a loose ball and it was like that's the dumbest thing ever you get the save and you get a loose ball we can't have a record being broken by a goaltender so we we changed that rule that was that was a good one gordo who would you sit next to in the locker room so probably someone who I haven't had a chance to sit next to, and that would be Grant Jr. Um, you know, he's been a, uh, an idol for my son, and I've watched him go through what he's gone through, you know, with some, you know, uh, life-changing illnesses that he's dealt with and still got it back out on the field. And, you know, he got, uh, you know, suspended for World Games for a little bit there because of what he had to take. And uh, so I would love to sit with him at a game and, you know, just to, uh, just to sort of, you know, I would, I would do that. You know, I think he's an awesome player, an awesome ambassador. Uh, I love his game. Certainly very different than mine. And probably that would be part of the reason why. Um, just to hear how he, what his thoughts are one and what, what is, thoughts are when he's doing what he's doing which is a, as i said a completely different game than mine cali bbq is proud to be an official sponsor of your san diego seals buy our slow smoked barbecue at any seals home game or online anytime at www.calibbq.media so inevitably all these conversations with a bunch of old guys revolves around people and names and, and the dropping of names that, that are, you know, Hall of Fame guys. John Grant Jr., Jim Veltman, Brody Merrill, you know, the list goes on and on. Sal Acasio, right? Uh, and, and a lot of them are Hall of Famers. And not every one of them is in the National Lacrosse League Hall of Fame. And uh, without putting you guys on the spot to know every guy in the National Lacrosse League Hall of Fame, if you could put somebody in it that you played with, uh, that that you don't think is there right now that that deserves it maybe maybe an unsung guy that belongs in the National Cross League Hall of Fame who would you put there? I'm not sure if Pat McCabe's in there is he he probably is right? Uh, 
He's not. Yeah. Holy cow. Yeah, so it's an easy pick for me, Pat McCabe, how we left him off the list. That, that was, I mean, you know, there's, there's the obvious ones that are scoring other goals, but I, I was actually thinking of Pat McCabe as well, um, and specifically around just watching him perform the year I played in New York and the way, I mean, he was our defense. You know, everything centered around him, the way we played, the way we went after it. And, you know, as an American player, for him to run a defense that did pretty well and he – you know, he figured the game out and did it his way um, and, and was just an incredible defender for a long time. I got to tell you, I'm not sure that Pat McCabe was the best defender on the U.S. teams because he was matched up on me so many times that <laughs> I was so fucking bad that Tommy Marichuk got Dave Morrow, right? John Grant got some, you know, Di Tommaso or some other guy that was just this unbelievable defender. Zach Colburn, all these guys were playing other guys. I get, I get Pat McCabe every time. So he couldn't have been that good if they matched him up on me. I do remember him playing in indoor. I got to tell you, if he wasn't on that New York Saints team, they wouldn't have won any games. I'm not sure that they won any, but. He was so critical to that team. So critical. Well, fellas, I just uh, – I'm going to throw a couple names at you guys, and I just want your rapid-fire kind of response on what you think. And, and amazingly, it seems like uh, I'm a pretty good picker of names because ultimately they come up in every conversation with the guys that I have on. Uh, but I'm going to throw a couple guys at you. And, and one at the top of the list, Brian, I, re I really would love you to, to talk about this guy who, who seems to be, to me, probably one of the, the first – you know, players, black players in the National Lacrosse League. We have plenty of indigenous players, and those guys have been unbelievable ambassadors. But t talk about Ricky Sewell. Yeah, I mean, Ricky was uh, was a D3 guy as well. Yeah, he was a black player. He was a Division three player, played at Washington, Washington College. A few of the guys off his team broke in in the, uh, in the NLL. But Ricky was the one that was the – you know, the athlete and the get up and down the field, the guys like no strand and, and were more pure shooters. Um, we're just catch and shoot kind of guys. And Ricky soul was, a was, you know, would, would be a modern day transition guy that can run the floor, can score at both ends. Um, you know, I think that he, uh, if it hadn't been for his outside careers, probably could have played the game for, for longer. He didn't play for very long at all. I never had the opportunity to play in professional outdoor lacrosse. Um, so he ends up being one of those guys that kind of gets forgotten. You know, anyone that knows Ricky Soul's name probably only knows him as the guy that used to coach at Navy, um, <laughs> if, if, if they know that. And I have no idea what an incredible lacrosse player he was. was. By the way, there was a great podcast that Teddy Jenner did on his Off the Crossbar podcast uh, with Ricky Soul, and, and I thought it was excellent, um, excellent work by Teddy. Um, and go back and listen to an hour of Ricky Sewell, and, and if you get a chance, it's it's really good podcast, uh, and and you'd love that. But uh, uh, Gordo, what do you think, Ricky Sewell? That what comes to mind when you think of him? Uh, well, that's a long time ago for me, but yeah, athletic, gritty, uh, tenacious, and a competitor. You know, uh, one 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 play at a time, and I remember his athleticism. Um, and, you know, you watch players and you sort of get their tendencies and he could throw a lot of different things at you. So, you know, I, one of the things that, that I've found is, especially as a player, is you try to capitalize on mistakes that other players make. And uh, 
you know, he didn't make a lot. What about John Tucker? Oh, he's tough. He's he stomped me in the head once. True legend. <laughs> <laughs> head stomp. Tuck's one of those guys though that, that got much better. You know, he was a very, very good college across player, obviously, but his career really, you know, he became a legend playing playing after college, playing professionally and playing club ball. Um, and then became a great coach as well. He's a I mean he's a true Hall of Fame legend of the game. Hey, Gordon, if everybody else was hitting you in the head, maybe it wasn't about everybody else. Maybe it was yeah. about you. Maybe I've just got these nightmares that happen that I now figure is reality. <laughs> right. Here. Matt Panetta. His name already came up. Matt Panetta. Oh, his ability to get out on his front foot and shoot is second to none. At least, you know, outdoor, indoor, he doesn't need much time and room to let go of shots. He's he's unbelievable. You know, pure scorer. Pure scorer. Pure scorer. No he probably could have played with the girls' stick. He could have. Right. Probably could have played with the girls' stick. No puck in the stick. He was the guy that never, never made the USA team that should have made it three times. Never well, made the USA team that should have made it three times. He's uh, he's now having a lot of fun with Andy Towers on the uh, on the P, the PLL Chaos uh, Club and, and those guys on the sideline together. I I giggle because I went for a, a beer after uh, one of the games they had in Denver in their first year, and it was it was Matt Panetta and and uh, and Andy Towers. What, what unbelievable stories were going on there? It was, just, it was a ton of fun. Heck of a coaching staff. Yes, it is. How about Troy Cordingly? Uh, gout. Gout. <laughs> Troy, Troy, <laughs> he, he had the gout. He had always had the gout. He always had the gout. I'm like, dude, you're too young to have yeah. gout. What are you talking about? He, uh, Troy Cordingly, was like the 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 antithesis of Tom Marajak. You know, where Tom was like. He was Hollywood, right? Tom Hollywood, Marichek. And yeah. the righty in, in Buffalo was Troy Cordingly, who was like, you never knew what he was doing. He was getting, you know, he was like half Gordon getting cross-checked in the head, getting his head yeah, taken he was. off. And he was physical everything like just crazy. Everything so clean right. with Marichek. And with Troy, it was like this train wreck that ended up with the ball in, in the back of the net at the end of it, though. Well, and, and Tom Marichek, good-looking guy. You know, they called him Hollywood. Good-looking guy, lots of hair. Still looks great. He was on last week. Still looks great. I had Cordingly on a couple of weeks ago. He looks like he's been rode hard and put away wet. He, I'm telling you, he, he's not a pretty man. I'm telling you. How about Brody Merrill? You guys talked a little bit about Brody. Well, let's get back to Troy. He played. Like, he was Listen, he let it all go on the field and he didn't mind he had a mouth too he didn't mind telling you what was going on out there Still he, he loved to let you hear about you know everything on the field absolutely that's awesome uh uh brody Mara. A, a true pro you know he, he just goes about everything the right way he's a leader you know the skill level is obviously off the charts he's smart trains hard I'm sure he's a good dad. He probably buys his wife flowers once a week um, and will be an excellent grandfather as well. Like the guy just. An excellent grandfather. <laughs> his brother, on the other hand. Um, so, what about John Grant Jr.? 
Well, I told you about him already, you know. Uh, I'd love to sit with him. You know, he's been a, an ambassador. I mean, his father was, I got a feeling in 86, he threw one behind the back that I'd never seen to beat Australia back in the day. You know, um, you know his name and, and his legacy will go on for a long time, at least in the Purdy household. Yeah, That's yeah. when, uh, that's when the Australians stopped running around playing keep away. <laughs> what did he score? 10 goals last year in a game? Am I wrong? Tell me I'm wrong there. I think he scored 10, didn't he? He, he had quite a few for the Outlaws, I think. Uh, yeah. He was, you talked about, he was pretty good at scoring. <laughs> yeah, he wasn't bad at it. He's not bad. So t I'm going to, I always end with one question, but I, I, I want to talk a little bit about, uh, uh, Brian, talk a little bit about the Jamaican lacrosse program and what's going on there. I think it, I think it's a super exciting story um, for for everybody. But uh, Jamaica lacrosse kind of making its debut, I think, in Israel, if I'm correct, um, and and sporting the green and yellow and black, and and uh, that was pretty exciting for everybody to see the game kind of spark in Jamaica. Yeah, it's, it's, you know, and that, that kind of got a lot of publicity. The thing that, that I dig the most about Jamaica is their high school program. You know, that they have, they've gotten into the schools and have kids in high school, 18 high schools playing lacrosse in Jamaica, which is, which is the future of the program. Um, and their aspirations are to not only have it all over Jamaica, where every high school is playing lacrosse in Jamaica, but ultimately to spread that throughout the Caribbean, which is a pretty um, cool thing when you think about it. That, you know, when you think about lacrosse in schools it doesn't happen very often it's in the united states it's in japan i believe but other than that lacrosse is always outside of school programs in most countries in jamaica they've gotten into the schools which is is really really cool so we have uh we're getting ready for the u19 men uh in in uh ireland next summer and the senior women in Towson next year um we think we're going to field good teams at both at both at both levels, and uh, the the future is really bright. You know, we're just starting to fundraise and and get things going to really take it to the to the next level with the program. So when we have a reunion show, and we get you guys back on, are you gonna like have a a, a special Jamaican accent for us? <laughs> you know, we got we got Gordo with the, this Fugazi, you know, Australian Long Island accent. Are we gonna get? Are we gonna have like a Northern California Jamaican accent? I'm still working on the Northern California thing. I got to do one at a time here. Uh, I, it, are you going to be able to speak Rastafarian or what do they call it? What do they call the, the way they talk to each Patois. other? Like, what's that? Patois is the, is what, is what is, it's, is the, the language that they would be spoken. It's a mix of. How often do you get to go down there? Um, right now, not at all because of COVID, but the goal right. would be to be there probably eight or so times a year. Um, my wife's playing for the, for the senior women's team as well. Um, so we'll be going down both to do training and stuff, but also to develop the high school program and to continue to, to grow that in addition to the training for the national team. Um, you know, the goal is to as quickly as possible get as many players born and raised in Jamaica up to a level where they can compete on the international stage. Uh, so Gordon, you get to, you get to coach at Adelphi and Brian's going down and coaching in Jamaica. What's wrong with that picture? Exactly. To you explain <laughs> that to me? I don't know. <laughs> what am I doing wrong? And it's not like that's the first time I've wished I was Brian Silcott. I mean, that guy's been around the world coaching 
what a great resume he's he's had and what a life he's done following well, his last stop was full of haggis and you know warm beer but this one i think brian i think you might stay with the jamaican team for a while yeah i think so i think so i think that's gonna stick hey so the last question i ask and and, I, and this one's always i get great and interesting answers but you get to you get to produce a 30 for 30 in the game of lacrosse and and whatever you know genre of the game men women uh you know indoor outdoor a pro college whatever the story is what's your 30 for 30 brian um i'm I'm gonna gonna take this very seriously and i'm not doing this just to blow smoke up your ass um well thank you very much i i i would honestly i i I think that the the uh the story of of i don't want to say saving but developing the nll um creating colorado creating san diego um, and all the things that have gone on around your life around that um, brings Joe, Joe Sign not into the game, but back into the game to some extent, um, getting him engaged in lacrosse and how, uh, yes, how Steve Govett has changed kind of quietly. Well, maybe not quietly, but in the background, never quietly. Never um, quietly. Never quietly, but definitely in the background, changed the game of lacrosse um, because it is right. pretty – I actually want to tell that story, but I want to tell it like to rap music on Broadway. I I think we could tell a really cool story. How does the son of a bastard orphan, son of a whore, wearing, right? I, can we tell it in the like Hamilton? I want to be Hamilton. He wasn't a very nice guy, though. I don't. I don't necessarily know that I want to do that. I'm very flattered you say that, but but uh, there has to be some laughs in there because there's so many people. Uh, I I don't even want to pretend to to go into a list of people that deserve credit. Uh, I just kind of have have ridden a wave of a lot of really good people and and had had a really a lot of fun, um, kind of doing what I love. And and I know Brian, you do that, and and. Gordon, you get to do that too. I mean, we, we've made careers out of the game of lacrosse. Uh, and if you had told me, you know, when I retired from the game in Philadelphia in 1998 after a championship uh, there, sorry, Flex, um, if if you had told me that that I would have got to spend the next, you know, 30 years or 20, 20 25, 30 years in my career – uh, building franchises in pro lacrosse and being a pioneer in this game, uh, I would have kind of, you know, chuckled a little bit. And uh, and you know what? It's been a whole lot of fun. But, Gordon, I want to hear yours. I want to hear your 30 for 30 story in the world of lacrosse. Actually connect to where we started this. And, you know, I told you about getting off a plane uh, and and sort of making a go of it. There was a gentleman that sort of took a risk on me, and his name was Paul Doherty. He was the head coach of the Delphi, and he passed away uh, just really a couple of days ago. And he's been a man that has meant so much to me and Adolphi Lacrosse and, you know, was in the Coaches Hall of Fame last year. And so he's touched the game, changed the game. You know, he's been a builder of, of this game that we love and a legend. And so mine would, you know, mine would definitely uh, sort of reach out to sort of 
learn so much more about what he's done and everything he's done to and for the game. And I think that that, that would be an incredible, an incredible opportunity to to do that. I know it's sort of very serious about that because you know we mourn his loss right now, but my story would never have happened without without him. Well, my uh, condolences to you on your loss and something that important in in your life. But uh, I I do think that you, you are like Hamilton. Like I, I was joking, but you got off, you know, you got off the plane, stayed in Long Island, and you never got off. It's like Alcatraz. Maybe your story is like about Alcatraz. You never got off Long Island. When he first told me that story, it, it wasn't all that long ago. It was probably seven or eight years ago, um, at a house somewhere in Vale or in Lake Placid. I didn't believe him. I'm like, get out of here. You didn't just abandon, you, you, you didn't just go home like, like a refugee or something, dude. I was, over, I was over with the coaching staff, uh, helping the coaching staff in Australian lacrosse last January, this January. And I was working with the, the world games, the world team. And my son, you know, who's crying out for that team had a chance to run into the captain there. And he actually heard the story from the captain that, they looked at me as I walked away, and the captain, it was Kenny Nichols, said, there goes a dead man. And he told that story to my son, saying, we all thought your dad was dead. He was going, walking away with his luggage. Going, no, there's no way he's going to survive in New York City. That's where I'm going. And look at, look at you now. Look at you now. Oh, this is so fantastic. Fellas. I'm so blessed to be able to get a chance to, to connect and, and chat and tell, tell some old stories. stories. And, and, and uh, this, this TFL podcast has been a ton of fun for me to connect with a lot of old friends, but this one was special. Uh, Brian, it's always a pleasure. Gordo, great to see you. Uh, fellas, thanks for being on the TFL podcast. Thank you, Steve. Thank you. Keep rolling with it, man. It's a lot of fun.